Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. John Dinsmore played drums in the rock band The Doors. As such, he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He got a Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But guess what? He's a guy. A really nice guy. Living in Southern California, close to the beach. Writing books. He has a great new book out called The Seekers, where he talks about different influential creative people by whom he was inspired. He talks about the nature of creativity. He talks about music. He talks about the spaces in music that people don't realize how important those spaces are. That was one of the things that stuck with me the most about his most recent book was the way he talks about the stuff of music, the sounds that make up the music. Um, his thoughts about creativity in that book are so well-formulated and fascinating that I was ecstatic to book him as a guest on Wheels Off. Turns out he's a really nice guy, too. Go figure. We talked over Zoom, him and his house in California, me in New York in my home. And, um, you know, it's funny. Like, here he is, one of the biggest musicians from the biggest bands in history, and he's one of us. He likes to talk about music. He likes to laugh. He likes to, you know, opine. He likes to wonder. He likes to hypothesize. He likes to goof around. That's one thing I love about creativity and the creative community is that I've found that the people who have dedicated their lives to making things are people generally who enjoy life. And they try to make life better day after day. They are people who create every day as a rule and thus affirm that there is some meaning in this mad world. John Dinsmore was a great conversation. I'm so glad to have him as a guest here on Wheels Off. So please welcome to Wheels Off, John Dinsmore. Welcome to Wheels Off, John Dinsmore. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, glad to be here, Rhett. Why are the wheels off? Well, I don't know. When stuff gets weird, you know how it is. You just got to kind of grab oh. the wheel and hold on while it shakes. Yeah, either that or you find the good stuff when the wheels are off. Exactly. God, I like that. <laughs> I, might, I might use that as part of our new intro. <laughs> okay. Um, boy, and before we even start, I'll say just because the timbre of your voice, just even saying my new catchphrase that you just said, um, 
you as the reader of your audiobook is so great. You do such a great job delivering your book. Well done. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I worked hard on it and I got the doors engineer Bruce Botnick to help me with with the music underneath. And um, yeah, there's talk of a Grammy nomination. So I'm down. Yeah, I love it. Would that be a nomination for best audiobook, probably? Best right? audiobook. Yeah. Oh man, that's so great. Um, so yeah, the audiobook, of course, is The Seekers, and it's it's really beautiful. I'm super impressed by it and and inspired by it. Um, but I guess the first question that we start with on this is, what creative project are you working on now, and how does it light you up? Hey, Rhett, I'm 76. Can I rest <laughs> a little? <laughs> Jesus. You know, I mean, the the, um, the pandemic is, uh, you know, I... I uh, I used to perform, uh, <laughs> you know, I would perform even at like poetry readings or something cool. And I didn't care if it's Madison Square Garden or that, because uh, it's the connection with the, the audience, whether it's small or large, it's the path, not the goal. And uh, I miss that. I mean, don't everybody's missing live stuff. So um, I don't know. Write another book. Give me a break. I don't, let, <laughs> I'm, I'm promoting this one now. I'm trying to, you know, like I haven't seen my grandkids in a year and a half. I can't stand it, but mm. soon. So, yeah, my mom's flying in from Texas next week and I haven't seen her in, like you said, a year and a half and I miss her bad. Yeah. How many grandkids you got? Two. That's very sweet. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope you get to see them soon. Oh, uh, I will. So, but you're you're deep in the throes of pushing this book, and and rightly so. It's a great book. It seems like you worked on it for a long time. Well, I started a few years ago. I got this idea to um, you know give a tip of the hat to uh, artists who have fed me, and then it stretched out, and I got into some mystical stuff. And I can't believe I have my mom and uh, uh, Lou Reed in the same book, but uh, <laughs> but so be it, you know. Uh, you know, I, after a while, I was thinking, wait a minute, okay, it's really diverse, which is what The Doors is like. The Doors are kind of jazz from me and, and folk rock flamenco from Robbie and Ray had blues and uh, classical and Jim had all these words. And so it was like an American melting pot. And this book, The Seekers, you know, it, I have the uh, Gustavo Dudamel, the conductor of the L.A. Philharmonic, and uh, uh, Bob Marley, and it, it's really eclectic. Uh, but that's what fed me, and so that's why I wanted to say thank you to everybody. Well, it's it's really beautiful too, and so much of that book is what I end up talking about with folks on Wheels Off. It's that creative process and how yeah. you how you take. Um, all these things, you know, from an early age and turn them into what you make, what your art. And so I, I, you talk about this in your books a little bit, but I wonder if you could tell our listeners, was there a, a, an early moment for you when you knew you were going to be doing music for your life? Was there an epiphany moment for you? Yeah. Um, we're usually asked, uh, what's your favorite concert or whatever? And uh, certainly, you know, Mass adulation at giant uh, arenas is great for the ego. After a little while, it's kind of redundant. But what was most exciting was the 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 
the moment where we were moving from clubs to small concert halls, maybe second bill, then it was like, oh my God, we're, we're going to pay the rent here. We're, we're going to make a living on making music. Oh, wow. What a blessing. Of course, a little later on, I, well, kind of knew it from the beginning. We had a, a kamikaze maniac as a lead singer. And so it was bumpy. That's for sure. But I, I knew we were making good music, so I endured the tension. God, I love I love your description of getting fired from what was the first one, the London Fog. Was that the the club the, when the Whiskey a Go Go guy brought you in as the house band there? Yeah, um, and I loved your description because it resonated with me of being having to open up for these touring acts, you know, from Captain Beefheart to Frank Zappa, to, you know. But Paul Butterfield, and um, that sort of drive to—you didn't say it like this—but I sort of heard this that maybe the drive to blow them off the stage every night to prove yourselves, to go out there and make it hard for them to follow you. Well, I mean, we were friends with all of them, sure. uh, uh, the Birds, Van Morrison, but uh, we liked being someone to reckon with, and we were so different. I mean, you know, we could just obliterate the audience into silence if we played the end and so that would, how do you follow that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so great um say so, so, you know uh, i was talking about our crazy lead singer notice behind my drum set there's this sign it says morrison street densmore avenue or something like that yeah let me tell you what that's about um I was born here in LA, as my mom was in 1904. Uh, so we got roots, although we're not uh, we're not native. The Chumash are the native first peoples. Anyway, I, I've driven down Ventura Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley many times, and I've seen Densmore Street, and I thought, yeah, right, hey, my street. And then a few years ago, I. Well, I got a little time. I think I'd make, make a right turn and drive up Dinsmore, see what's up there. I drive up a mile or so, and it crosses Morrison Street. Okay. Now, wait a minute. When did they name these streets? Several hundred years ago, you know? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that was pretty exciting. And actually, the two street signs were not on the same pole and we got the mayor to allow us to switch it so I could do a photo op there. But anyway, um, I'm <laughs> saying all this to say, you know, Jim was very difficult and also uh, gifted as hell. And it was a blessing that Densmore and Morrison were fated. Yeah. I think you described that so well in your books, sort of the the cosmic circumstances that led to this thing that became so much greater than the sum of all of its parts in the doors. And I hope I also get the message out there that, um, yes, there's icons in this book and some unknown people that are equally as talented. But you, even if you're not a, quote, professional musician or whatever, if you play the piano in a closet and no one hears it, or if you do a painting and no one sees it, you're still entering the same zone that all these artists, me and Rhett and Bob Marley go to. And it's, it's a meditative sort of medicine for the soul kind of state. 
And you can do that, especially during these crazy, you know, we're all home and uh, it, 20 minutes a day, it feeds you it's, it, or longer if you can. So uh, that's my little soapbox, but I'm trying to um, put it out there that everybody can enter this zone. It's funny, this has come up a few times and people have uh, different views on this, but it seems to me like you believe, as I do, that there's something very therapeutic about creating music, maybe listening to it as well. But um, is that something you can speak to? Do you think that music is healing as something that you make, do? I'd say uh, uh, something, it feeds the soul somehow. I don't know what, it's kind of undefinable. It's funny how you you look at a painting, but music well, is in the air from heart to heart. It's such a direct connection. It's it's healing salve. Um, and boy, I love your description of when you were at UCLA and Ravi Shankar came and you got to sit on the stage, and your description of him tra being transported, his fingertips yeah. bleeding. Yeah. That's pretty incredible that you got to sit on the stage and be a part of that transcendent experience. It's really interesting. Um, the Beatles and the Doors were experimenting with then legal psychedelics at, way back, 65. And uh, now this is before the internet. We didn't know what they were doing, the, they didn't know what, what was going, you know. And uh, we thought, well, this is kind of hard on the nervous system. Maybe meditation is what's happening. So we stumble onto Maharishi. And a year later, the Beatles are <laughs> doing Maharishi. And, and that exposes all of us to Indian culture. And then we start investigating Ravi Shankar and get fed by this incredible uh, country. And so I, I find that really interesting that maybe it's Jungian archetypal undercurrents connecting us. There was no internet and we were all doing the same thing. Anyway, yeah, George was uh, on the stage with Ravi at the Hollywood Bowl and I was uh, with Ravi at uh, UCLA. And it was a blessing to see this giant. And it was also, uh, I went to uh, Ravi Shankar's School of Indian Music in LA and studied tablas for a few months in between doors tours and uh, realized this, this is the most difficult drumming in the world. But I, I loved learning enough technique to realize how, how arduous it is to play tablas. And then there's Ravi coming into the class saying to, uh, giving a lecture about, um, <clears throat> If you can channel your sexual drive into practicing your instrument, you'll go a long way. <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm in my 20s, you know, and I've got this throbbing in my pants and I'm like, wow. I, I don't, I, you know. And then the sound of sitars becomes so big and co-opted, it becomes soundtrack for porn movies and Ravi sues them and can't stop them. And the sound of God becomes the sound of sex. <laughs> that's, it seems like that's how it always is, right? <laughs> so I know then you've done some work with meditation. Um, like, I don't know what practices, I don't know if you worked with Transcendental or um, 
well, that's Maharishi started Transcendental Meditation. Okay. And we were into it a year before the Beatles. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, it's just uh, meditating. Is, he gave us a mantra, but you can use your breath or OM or whatever the hell it is. Um, and just uh, it'll quiet you down. And I have a chapter on Ram Das. He's a, a, a mystic guy who was hung out with Tim Leary and whatever. And his main thing, he said, the most important thing about meditation, it doesn't matter what you're meditating on, your breath, whatever. Don't beat yourself up when you realize you're off the mantra or the breath or OM or whatever it is. Just go back gently. And then after a while, you can get there quicker and calmer quicker. Yeah, right. It's inevitable that the thoughts intrude on the meditative state, yeah, yeah. the unified field. Yeah, I, I was inducted into transcendental meditation huh. when I was a teenager. Have you ever told anyone your mantra? Nope. Me neither. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Um, I, but so one thing that's come up during these conversations is, is the act of practicing our instrument or the act of writing or creating, is there something similar to the act of meditation? Like when you're in the state where you're, you know, going through a practice, do, does your brain enter a state similar to that of thoughtless state? You don't enter the same state, but meditation is really educational to me about how to pro approach creativity in art and music. And that is, and I wax on in this book about it, there's silence is an important ingredient to sound. If it's all sound, it's just one level. You don't have contrast, you don't have depth. And I'm not the fastest drummer, but I play musical because I, I like classical music they have fortissimo and, and pianissimo and really, you know, and everything in between. And that's where silence and sound comes in. in and that's the human condition. That, that's the whole range of emotions. If you think about all of that. I mean, that was kind of an abstract answer, but uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think I quote Neil deGrasse Tyson, the physicist, uh, about the Big Bang and um, out of that came, out of that silence came sound. And in the Bible, it says the word was the first, you know, well, that's a vibration, yeah. you know. So um, I find it very interesting. Like Tyson says that, I didn't know this till I read it uh, a year or so ago, that that our planet, the Earth, is gravitationally pulled around the sun, but all the other planets are also gravitationally pulling on each other, just like a musical ensemble, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you, and, and if uh, the lead singer gets too arrogant, he spins out of orbit and becomes a shooting star, and goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, I thought the job you did in The Seekers describing um, uh, being ahead of the beat and behind the beat and like in the pocket. And though I thought the job you did describing that was so great. And, um, you know, the 
how like military music and classical music they play ahead of it and how you found a way to play back in the beat and the way you describe space i thought yeah. that was so fantastic you really made me laugh when you talked about the early drum machines having a button that could be the yeah. humanized button to make it go faster or slower <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it's a real subtle thing that i'm glad that people are getting exposed to it by my writing about it that that it's not classical music is on the front of the beat but classical music kind of does the whole gamut of mm. front and back okay. military polka uh, uh uh bar mitzvahs havana gila that's on the front the blues is on the back and, and what i mean by this to you li listeners is that you wait to the last second to play the ne next beat after the first beat you played and if you wait to the last second, then it's just, this is microseconds, but it just, it gives a feeling. And so you can, there's room for the sadness to come in, in the blues or military, you know, is kind of pushing, pushing and, you know, like punk music pushes and, and the great Stuart Copeland in the police, he pushes that reggae feel. He's always pushing it. And it's very interesting that, that there's a, big difference between one beat and the next. I've always myself battled with that. And I think of it as if I'm ahead of the beat, I'm rushing to get to you. And if I'm behind the beat, I'm pulling you towards me, which oh, is, which is nice. way, way That's cooler. Good. Way I'm cooler. Hey, I'm stealing that line. So <laughs> uh, you're, you're a guitar player though, right? Or no? Uh, yeah, I do rhythm guitar. I'm a front man primarily. I'm, right, right. Like I'm a ham-fisted guitar player. I, I so let, so uh, when you're singing, it, it, the phrasing is <clears throat> very that's what we're talking about here you can lay back like sinatra and and willie <clears throat> nelson acknowledges now that he oh i think he just put out a sinatra album of covers of that sinatra did that he listened to him intently and kind of copped his some of his feel you I don't you don't copy like I listened to Elvin Jones, John Coltrane's drummer, saw him live many times, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I didn't copy it exactly. I just let it wash over me and influence what I was doing. It's funny that comes up so much, especially when you're young and you describe that, you know, you were a young drummer building your own style. I talked to um, Michael Shabon, the novelist, and he talks about when he was beginning, he would write uh sherlock holmes stories in the style of arthur conan doyle <laughs> just to learn how to do this thing and you know then uh, he goes on to become a great writer well, that's interesting yeah writing is uh you know i wrote i have three self-centered memoirs now <laughs> um the first one was a bestseller i mean it was out when oliver stone's movie was out uh, but not to discount it i found my voice but i felt insecure saying i was a writer yeah, I knew I was a musician. And then after a few years of little articles, then I, I said, yeah, yeah, I've got another avenue of creativity. And I have this theory that for me, the length of a sentence is a musical question. Yeah. So if it's short, it's percussive. And if it's long, it's melodic. Or it's a run on and you better edit. <laughs> and so it, it's kind of interesting. It, the way to sing or write or it, there it's all in the same arena to me you know
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that the way your book reads, especially hearing you read the audiobook of it, it's it's got a very musical thing about it. It's got parts that where you're you're like rushing and excited, and then parts where you're, you oh. know, you know, getting into something deeper and you can really feel it in the sentence structure. And good, good job. So well done. Thank you. Um, one thing that I thought about listening to you talk about um, your your lead singer in the doors, Jim Morrison and, and Janis Joplin and her sort of career arc that you were able to witness from pre-fame to like post addiction and all that. Um, yeah. You have survived and you've done such great things and you've, you're this Renaissance man writing books and doing all this incredible stuff. And I wonder, um, as a survivor, do you have uh, any secrets? Because one thing that we talk about on these interviews a lot is the internally generated obstacles, the ways we defeat ourselves. you know? And oh. I, wonder, I wonder what you've come up with to sort of uh, solve that, get past those, survive. Well, on a <clears throat> purely physical level, <clears throat> I've had examples all around me of people going too far and jumping off the bridge. And uh, <clears throat> that's kind of the arc in my first book. It, 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 what I've gleaned was life is more precious than ever. And, and there's many roads. And, and the years have helped me heal Jim's passing or whoever. Uh, you know, and now I think of him as, a, a, like I said, a shooting star meant to only have 27 years. And I'm 76. And I'm not done. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm working on a script now, so <laughs> another pi another pipe dream. But what the hell, you know? Uh, I like being an example of a longer road for younger people because you know th there's many roads, and uh, and and also um, I always used to get asked the question: Well, if Jim was around today, would he be clean and sober, or what, whatever? And and I used to say no. He was just a kamikaze drunk and i changed the answer to that a few years ago I went, wait, wait a minute here there's clapton eric clapton the eminem's a, a, a creative angry guy like jim he had an album called recovery it's a different time yeah if jim was around he would have been like that and i used to be judgmental about people who couldn't dabble like me and i know a lot of really cool people who can't dabble. And so we grow and learn, we evolve. Yeah, I, that's, that's interesting to have to hypothesize about that. I, he, I mean, Jim may be, uh, sorry, Jim, Jim, I don't know, you, it's okay for you to call him Jim. Yeah. But um, he may be the greatest example of the sort of live fast, die young genius is always self-destructive cliche yeah, but but that doesn't have to be true, right? That just happened to be the case with him. Because I wonder about this all the time. <laughs> yeah, think... well, uh, uh, self destruction and creativity came in the same package with him, but they don't have to. How old was Picasso when he died? Ninety. Yeah, so, you know, uh, there's many roads. I've I've seen young people come up and try to emulate that, thinking that the yeah. The, you know, they get the cart before the horse. They think, well, if I kill myself, yeah, yeah. booze. Right, right, right. Anyway, well, yeah, I, I, I think in uh, uh, Riders on the Storm, I wrote, uh, listen, uh, you can't just drink beer and wear leather pants and think you'll be there. That's, <laughs> you know, 
Jim was really steeped in literature. So, you know, it, and, and let me say that about technique, uh, uh, being well read or practicing an instrument or whatever, painting, you need enough technique to get your uniqueness out and you can overdo it. Some classical musicians are stiff because they're so technical and they can't swing or whatever. So uh, it's all different. Punk music, they don't have any technique. I mean, they're just angst, but they're getting that out. And that's, you know, the message is getting out. So just, you know, get enough technique to get out whatever you feel inside is your gift to give to the world. And everybody has a gift to give to the world. And I don't mean that it has to be successful. I just mean um, putting in the time just makes you, uh, well, it's like this pandemic. It makes you more full of gratitude and sensitive about things. And that's good. I think so too. Um, so if you were to go back to the 21 year old version of yourself, uh, do you have any advice that you might give yourself looking back? If, oh. but, 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 but wait, working in today's world, it's a different, it's a different <laughs> world clearly. But, um, that old that old question, John. If you had to do it yeah. over, would it would you do it any different? And um, uh, yes and no. Yes, because I hope I learn from what I've gone through, and therefore I approach things uh, with that knowledge. And no, because then I wouldn't be who I am right now, and I I, I feel pretty centered, and I shouldn't mess with it you know just well here how about if i tweak it say you come upon a 21 year old kid on the street tomorrow and um you you see in them um something of yourself and and they ask you oh my god i want to grow up and be do what you do and and play drums and make music and what advice well, might you give them yeah well um like i said uh, uh, uh do do paint or play the piano, whatever it is. If you really have to do this, I mean, you're just, you got to do it. Then you might have the ingredients to drive you into trying to make a living off of this, which is, as you know, a total crapshoot. I, I have this formula for success Success. Bob Dylan spells it S-U-C-K. <laughs> um, and it's in this order, three parts. First, luck. Timing, you know, right place, right, wrong time, Dr. John. Yeah. It's just, you know, second, chutzpah or hustle. You know, you just, you, I mean, the doors for, for a few years, that's all we thought about all day and night. How do we get this damn thing off the ground? Third, talent. Not to demean uh, that uh, talent is important. It's, it's big. But why is there a bunch of talented people that are starving and a bunch of famous people that aren't very talented? You know? Yeah. So that's my little three-part formula for success. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Um, let's see, before we go, you brought it up, so it's something I've always wondered. What did you think about the Oliver Stone movie? I liked it. Um, 
it, it um, Jim, he, Oliver did a movie about a, a, a tortured artist, not unlike Mr. Stone, you know, trying to, you know, yeah. Dionysus and creativity together. Um, Val Kilmer should have been nominated. He was so like Jim, it gave me the creeps on the set. But um, I was pleased that there was another documentary that Johnny Depp narrated, not not a, a doc, another yeah. film about the doors, a documentary uh, called When You're Strange, which brought in more of the 60s. You got more of the feel of the period, which I wished was more in Oliver's movie, but that's not what it was about. It was, you know. And, you know, you take uh, so the two of those together, to me, represents the whole picture of the doors. But, um, you know, you take you take a six year career and cram it into two hours and blow it up the size of a two story building. It's not going to be. Uh, this is what Amy Madigan said to me, actress, uh, wife of Ed Harris. It's not going to be you know, uh, exactly factual reality, you know. And so Oliver did an impressionistic painting and, and it's beautiful. It's outrageous, wonderful. And, you know, and also check out When You're Strange. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and but I did want to ask you before I let you go, when I first moved out to LA in the late 90s, I moved into- Wait, where where are you now, Rhett? I live in the Hudson Valley in New York. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, not far from Woodstock, actually. Yeah, sure. Been up there. Yeah. It's so beautiful today, too. I, 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 I performed, uh, I think it was Riders on the Storm book tour. I had a solo thing, and I did music while I read at the Poughkeepsie, that great stage up there. Bardavon. Bardavon, yeah, yep. that's it. Yeah. Oh, it's great. So beautiful. Yeah, I've seen some yeah. great shows there. Yeah. Oh, but so, okay, so I moved into a house up in Benedict Canyon in Beverly Hills with yeah. like 10 other people. You know, we shouldn't, we couldn't really afford it. Uh, <laughs> but it, ha it had this crazy little guest house on stilts overlooking the canyon. And the story was that Jim Morrison had lived there for a summer with a girl whose family had the house. And it could have been apocryphal, but I like to tell myself that there was some juju left over. And one thing that I noticed was there were lizards everywhere doing their little <laughs> lizard push-ups everywhere and <laughs> and um i wrote a ton of songs i wrote a few old 97s albums in that weird little house oh good but i i just wondered was there ever any memory of him spending a bunch of time up in benedict canyon can you verify the story oh i hate to take the wind out of your sails <laughs> uh, robbie robbie krieger lives in benedict canyon and has lived there forever so yeah. maybe that's how it got convoluted Jim yeah. spent a lot of time in Laurel Canyon with his girlfriend. And that's where he wrote Love Street about a particular area. And uh, so, uh, yeah. Well, uh, I'll just keep believing there was something. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, man, I really love getting to talk to you. This was so cool. I feel like you dropped a lot of wisdom on the listeners. And I, I thank you so much for being on Wheels Off, John. A real pleasure, Rhett. Cool, man. Well, I hope our paths cross soon and yeah. we can all get out of our houses. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Sweet. Well, right. God, Godspeed to your grandkids. Take care of yourself and congratulations on the Seekers. Hi to your mom. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.
All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.